Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knocks. This is Adam Frommel here with my fantastic co-host, Dan Favalli. And we're coming at you with the assist of a lot of questions for our latest mailbag episode. Uh, we're going to be diving into all of those. Dan apparently just didn't feel like working out today, a rarity for him, and has actually done a lot of research on some of these questions. So I feel like I'm going to be a little bit outclassed um, if, if we end up in any debates here, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Before we uh, dive into any of the questions, though, how's it going, Dan? It is going uh, A-OK over here. I wouldn't say it was a ton of research, but I have a spreadsheet. So that gives you like a clue into how. And I went deep into the I always respect time. that. There, there were no there were no questions that went on turn. Some of them we left out. And as we mentioned, we'll probably do a second mailbag because we have so many questions. So we normally do one a week anyway, and we're doing one later this week because I am disorganized as shit. Um, and we did a different type of episode at the beginning of the week. So we will probably get to your question if you asked one. Thank you for everyone who did ask one. We had a lot of good ones, though. And I think two of them are going to hurt your soul a little bit. Oh, I already know. <laughs> I think we should start there. Well, I mean, more importantly, how are you doing? Forget how am I doing. How are you doing? Better than I'm going to be doing in about two minutes. <laughs> Would you like me to start somewhere else? No, let's let's start at the low point and, and just move our way up throughout the episode. So we have two questions on the Hawks. The first one comes from the NBA Chicken, who is a loyal question asker. I would love to know at NBA Chicken, why is your... T- um, Twitter handle the NBA chicken. I'm just very curious. They ask what's going on with the Hawks. Is it a bad road trip against stiff competition or are they not as good as expected? And then Reginald asks Hawks why? So he, he boiled it down to just a great question. Yeah. Just two fantastic questions, very different approaches. So I actually just wrote a little bit about this, but I am curious as the, and if this makes you feel any better, I did say I thought the Hawks, given the the Kyrie Irving BS in Brooklyn, I thought they were going to finish second in the Eastern Conference. So it's not like I wasn't high on them and, and wrong about them. But what are your impressions of this Atlanta team that has now lost seven of their last eight? Yeah, it's obviously not ideal. And I do think that the schedule at least plays some part of that. If you look at who the losses have come to and where they've taken place at Washington, somewhat excusable at Philadelphia, excusable at Brooklyn, excusable at home against Utah, excusable on the road against Phoenix, excusable on the road against the Warriors, excusable and on the road against the Jazz, excusable. The issue is that that's seven losses in eight games, as you said, which which means that it goes beyond the schedule because they're there is something just a little off with this team. It feels like we're seeing a regression to the typical Nate McMillan offense that he's run in previous locations where the play calling just lacks a little bit of creativity. It relies a little bit too heavily on long two pointers on a lot of sets that are designed to produce mid range looks. And that just isn't a fit for the personnel of this Atlanta team, which has a ridiculously good three-point creator and assist generator in Trey Young surrounded by a ton of shooting options who excel from beyond the arc and can also serve as secondary playmakers. So it feels a lot like this Hawks offense is kind of stuck in the mud in the half-court setting, trying to kind of half-heartedly go through these motions in a way that isn't designed to optimize their talent. We're not seeing the ball move a lot. If you look at the amount of passes teams make per game, only the Dallas Mavericks have had fewer than the Atlanta Hawks. Granted, that's not a perfect Shout out measure. Jason Kidd. Sorry. Shout out Jason Kidd, as always. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a, a perfect measure. The Detroit Pistons are actually leading the league in passes made per game, but when it comes to this offense, what should be more of a free-flowing, freewheeling unit with creativity, with a lot of three-pointers generated off the catch, that's just not happening. I do think it is at least in some part due to you know just some subpar shooting performances. No one is shooting particularly well against tight, contested coverage to this point of the season. Clint Capella is clearly still hindered by the Achilles injury that he suffered last season. He, he hasn't had that same explosiveness around the basket, only shooting 59% at the rim. And without that threat, 
it makes it easier for defenses to key in on Trey when he's driving into the lane, which makes it harder to find the kickout opportunities. So it's a convergence of a lot of different factors that all feel fixable. It's probably a little bit too late given the heat's hot start, given this terrible run to expect the Hawks to move into that conversation for a number one or number two seed in the East, but it still feels like this team is going to figure it out sooner rather than later. Yeah, those are uh, one thing I'll correct myself because people will come to Jason Kidd's defense. I know that Dallas with Luca has never been like this team prided on a ton of ball movement. So, um, but any chance to troll Jason Kidd, I'm totally there for. Someone did stick up for the amount of times that he he was having Luca post up though with the Mavericks this season, which was that was an interesting take to have. I think they blamed it on Luca. Someone in my Twitter mentions. I thought that was um, an interesting way to go about it because it would be the coach's job, even if it was Luca's choice, to poke up post up against non-mismatches it would be the coach's job to ensure that that stops so there are a lot of weird decisions going on in dallas also can you tell that i lied and I actually did have a little time to prep uh i could tell as soon as at, at the beginning i was like all right well obviously he knows it but then i'm like okay no he knew he knew too much of this it's interesting because their offense is definitely underachieved i'm curious is how much has to do with this stretch where you mentioned you play the jazz twice the warriors are the best defensive team in the league so there are just a bunch of tough matchups there I'm more keyed in on their defense, which you could probably explain in part because of this tough schedule. Only the Grizzlies, by the way, have played out a a harder strength of schedule to date. Atlanta's defense is 30th in points allowed per possession during this. I called it a stretch to poop and is now 27th in points allowed per possession for the year. Opponents are just for context. There are only 30 teams in the NBA. (laughs) Yeah, 30 of 30. NBA Um, math. Honestly, let's just call them 31 of 30 at that point over this stretch. They rank 31st out of 30 teams in defense. Uh, They Opponents are shooting, and this is overall, better than 70% around the rim. I feel like Clint Capella doesn't look the same this year. I do, like, they're getting by when he and John Collins play together, but the offenses are shooting 81.8% at the rim when Capella is playing without John Collins. That is wild. I think it speaks to who's playing the four a lot during those stretches. Um, and there have been, when you watch this team, it does feel like Nate McMillan called it being drunk on emotions. I don't know if that's necessarily what it is, but there's like, there are stretches where it feels like they're, they don't, they don't want to go back on defense. They are, if they commit a turnover, it feels like they're not even trying to get back on defense. They're allowing 1.5 points per possession after a turnover. That is bad for anyone who is wondering. I think a lot of that is stemming from the offensive woes too, just because this is an offense that last season on the run to the Eastern conference finals with largely the same personnel, if anything with lesser personnel, it, it looked easy. You know, everything flowed, everything seemed seamless. It seemed effortless and it just feels laborious this year. Anytime the Hawks enter the half court, they're working hard to generate even contested looks And I think that that has an impact on the other end of the floor, A, because they're taxed, B, because they're mentally drained, and it's harder to commit on that defensive end if you're not in it. Well, there's also the fact that if you're missing shots, it's going to be statistically easier for opponents to get out and attack you when your defense isn't set. Their defense has still been bad by those standards to me. I think two of the things, well, not two of the things, another smaller thing that stands out is like the all bench unit that they've tried out that needs to go. Um, They can stop playing that always and forever. I wonder if they do need to play Delon Wright a little bit more um, to get up their defense. I think more than um, anything though, with this team, I'm wondering if like they need to figure out a way to actually consolidate the rotation, maybe decide more consistently, which guys aren't playing because it almost feels like the disease of depth to some extent. And I think you could argue that might be a, a larger symptom for them on the, the offensive end. Uh, is it, is there a trade out there where they can consolidate talent? I think that's too easy to say because it's hard to really take stock of the trade market right now, but I'm wondering if it would just behoove them to move forward with more of a, a finite or set rotation, or do they have to take the trade market at some point? Because there's, that does feel like it could be an issue for this team. I do think they have the potential to be a lot better. And I don't want to read too much into this eight game stretch just because it's so it's been a hellscape when you look at their opponents for the most part and very road heavy, as you already mentioned, I still think even by those standards, they've underachieved. The real key here is just going to be giving more run to Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper. (laughs) Yeah. Play Jalen Johnson at the five and um, yeah, just get, get friggin' weird. Uh, But yeah, I'm, this team has been disappointing 
do you still how how worried are you on a scale of one to ten about them long term this season? Like a two. I might be a little higher than that because I am wondering if like the defense needs to be a lot better. They've I you're right, the offense needs to be a lot better, but they've been like okay on offense while kind of sucking because the at times because with they this have roster composition, you can't just be okay on offense. I still like even if they're a fringe top ten offense, that's a problem. Well, wouldn't that speak to being more worried about them than anything? Then no, because I, I just I think that these are are fixable issues. Not everyone is going to keep slumping at the same time. You're eventually going to see some progression from Cam Reddish, from DeAndre Hunter, from Kevin Herter, uh, just the regression from everyone at the same time, while coupled with a bad schedule is is C seven losses in eight games. I'm going to go with like a five point five here, just because. I, I know the stretch has been tough, but it's just something I'm going to watch because there's just a lot of noise. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. I feel like in the East right now where the Nets offense isn't as good as you expect. Chicago is fantastic. The wizards are fantastic. The Cavs are really good. Some of these things are going to have to stick over the longer haul is my point. And so I'm just, if I'm the Hawks, I'm mildly to, to super modestly concerned about what I've seen. This next question comes from Jake G. Who would be a realistic center the Hornets can go after, either through free agency or trade, to fix their defensive woes? If a trade, I'm imagining a move centered around P.J. Washington, and please don't bring up Rashawn Holmes, it hurts too much. (laughs) This is someone who clearly listens to the podcast because I have said, I believe the Hornets should be fine a draft pick for allowing Rashawn Holmes to re-sign in Sacramento on the deal that he did. The the thing that I'll mention, uh, if before I throw it to you, if you have targets, is... Charlotte's defense is so bad, and I don't think it comes back to the center position alone. I do think that's a huge deal as to why you're looking at them and they're, you know, as we record this, they're 27th in points allowed per possession, 27th in defensive rebounding rate. Um, They are getting killed, too, uh, by the opponent's offense when they are getting their own misses. Opponents are scoring on a very high percentage of, of those opportunities. And better center play is a way to address that. As of right now, Mason Plumlee is your lone, true, playable center because it's not a Kai Jones. It's not a Nick Richards. It's not a Vernon Carey. Perhaps you believe in those guys with the longer haul. They're not the answer now. When P.J. Washington is healthy, he is basically a four masquerading as a five. They've even tried some, very little, but they've tried some Miles Bridges minutes at the five. Miles Bridges is not a five. And so I think... It was, and we talked about this during our Hornets outlook with Kanata Edwards, uh, who's now a podcast producer for CBS Sports. Shout out to him for the new gig. It did feel like they they missed an opportunity as a team that was more flexible than most this summer to do a better job of addressing the the middle and instead just settle for Mason Plumley. So th- I guess my point before I throw to you is their defense is terrible. I think the interior Setup is a primary example of that, but I also don't know that you look at this team on the perimeter and say, okay, hey, like if you get a league average or better, like even if you got a Miles Turner, because he's the name everyone's going to say you should trade for, I don't know that your defense is all of a sudden great when you're looking at the guys that he's still going to have in front of him for, for, for longer stretches of the game. Miles Turner is probably the obvious answer if you're looking for the big name, the star player, because he would be a good fit. We've said that really since midway through last season when it was obvious that the Pacers might still move on from him and the DeMontis Sabonis Turner pairing on the lower end. I might like to see them make a play for like Daniel Tice, who's on a four year, $36 million contract with the Rockets, which is reasonable money for a non-star who is going to be a solid defensive presence in the paint, which is ultimately what the Hornets need. He's not going to provide much on offense. I'm not sure how much you need on offense with LaMelo Ball running the show with this new and improved version of Miles Bridges. You're probably giving up P.J. Washington in any trade in this situation. So I don't know if we can talk about him there, but there are still other pieces. So it's not like a swing for the fences move or anything, but I, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to argue that Charlotte should be making a swing for the fences move. I'd love to see them target someone in that vein. If the Spurs are willing to part with like Jakob Pertl, another good you know, typical archetypal defensive center, who's not going to spend much time on the perimeter. Earl's a name that I would like. Uh, he is in the health and safety protocols right now. I think the problem with Tice 
is, and you might even run into this problem with Pirtle, is, and he's been better. Pirtle's been better on the defensive glass in the past. And I also don't know with Tice how much his um, defensive rebounding percentage is deflated by playing a lot of minutes with Christian Wood, but he's never just been like this super great guy at ending those possessions. And they do need someone who does that. I just, you look at the market and it's like to find a really solid rim protector who might be able to be pulled out of the paint a little bit, but also is a great defensive rebounder. You're probably not going to check all those boxes. Again, Miles Turner is one. I'm with you. I don't think they should swing for the fences. Miles Turner to me is okay just because I don't know that the opportunity cost is monstrous there. Um, but to your what you were saying, looking at the lower end, does a Nerlens Noel or a Mitchell Robinson become available in New York, depending on how the Knicks season goes? Um, Robinson's about to become a free agent this summer. I also don't know defensively for the most part. I think they would those guys would help, but Mitchell Robinson isn't the most disciplined defensive rebounder himself either. And so, like, there are going to be flaws in whatever you say. Mo Bamba has been great this year, and Orlando did extend. Wendell Carter Jr. Again, that's someone else who's also slighter. Are you looking for more of like a stronger big? And he will space the floor. That'd be an interesting element around um, Lamella Ball. You are getting that, of course, when you play with PJ Washington at the five. You're just getting someone who's longer and and taller. Um, and the other name, if you oh well, this name would be more off season because look, you go through the free agents, and I just named two of them: and Mitchell Robinson next summer and Mo Bamba. Uh, is just like. The market is so Robert Williams, the third would probably be a name that would spring to mind for me. And he just signed an extension. So that gets wonky. You're probably not, it's not going to happen this season would be my point. If you wanted to swing for the fences and I just don't know what the package looks like because of where this team is at and what they're trying to do and how important he is to them. But Deandre Ayton is the name. He will be a free agent this summer. The Hornets are not going to have the cap space to go after him, but if you wanted to create the cap space or try and broker some sort of a sign and trade, what is the status of Robert Sarver's future? with the team as its chairman? How does that impact what they're doing with DeAndre Ayton? I don't think they would move DeAndre Ayton um, short of them acquiring who they believe is just like a, a third star for CP3 and Devin Booker. And Charlotte doesn't have that to offer them right now. So it would probably have to be a three or four team deal where the Suns are getting someone else back. Charlotte's sending stuff to that team who is has sent enough to Phoenix that Ayton can be in Charlotte. But I'm also thinking about restricted free agency. If you want to try and come in with an over-the-top offer, or willing to pay him more and can broker a sign and trade since you're not going to have a, a boatload of cap space in the upcoming summer. But there's just, there's no care all here. And I think you're looking at more. So if they're going to make a win now move this season, what you said stands out the most to me is that you're probably looking at just like lower end names. And even those are sort of tough to, I don't know if it's because it's so early in the season or if just those names aren't out there right, right now, but they're, they seem like they're kind of tough to find. And I don't think that perfect solution exists right there with you it was tough to come up with like reasonable names at this stage of the season it's turner though right like that's the that's the one who comes close to checking i think every that's box. that's the upper that's the upper tier answer i just can't see them making that big of a play i think they could just it'd be easier to justify that justify that one because i don't know it costs you as much future equity in addition to pj washington as another name and i can't even think of it like if pascal siakam became available would be super interesting for this team, but it's like, what are you giving up for Pascal Siakam in that scenario? So, mm. uh, but yeah, the Hornets, the Hornets need an upgrade at center. This question I wonder comes, if you could eventually oh, look, sorry, before we move on, eventually look at Washington when Thomas Bryant is back. Like you're going to have Thomas Bryant, Montrez Harrell and Daniel Gafford all in need of minutes, likely at the five. I don't think any of those three are ideal fits in Charlotte because they're really all more offensive oriented at this point. Bryant's probably the best fit as that solid rebounder in addition to what he brings in the pick and roll game. But just because there's too many big men in Washington, I wonder if the price could be diminished enough that they could get an ill-fitting upgrade. Yeah, you're right. Gaffer would be the best defensively of those three, but none of those three are moving the defensive needle. Bryant would be offensively an interesting fit. And like you said, he, he can be, he's a really um, feisty rebounder. This question comes from um, Tony Spookums, Anthony Merlacci. Uh, what are your impressions of the mixtape jerseys, favorite, least favorite, et cetera? I don't know if you've had time to look extensively at the NBA City edition, edition jerseys, but I have, when they first came out and I went through them, I have way stronger thoughts than I should on these things. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't like studied them or anything. I think I like most of them. Oh, okay. Uh, I, think I, I know you've, you've publicly said that most of them suck. 
but like I like the Lakers throwback. The Phoenix Valley jersey is always mm-hmm. phenomenal. I like that the Hawks are bringing back the cartoon Hawk. Um, Charlotte's has a nice like color fade. Miami's is just atrocious. New York's looks good. You know, we can go on and on here. We could. But you'd be wrong about a lot of them. I think Charlotte's is god awful. And I'm uh, by the way, I'm not trying to disrespect the actual intent or thematic inspiration behind any of these no this is I'm pure not, aesthetics yeah these are pure aesthetics um charlotte's like is Houston just so bringing boring. back the pinstripes i don't know you don't so see I, those like but do you see many color fade jerseys in the nba i think that's what's cool about the charlotte's is that the transition from the deeper blue to the lighter teal like that's just it's unique to me because we I, don't see it I think sort of the the bee hornet hive element at the top ruins that for me i'd rather see that papered all the way down uh extended that uh, might see, make I it just, look better i disagree because it would just get lost in the court because they <laughs> use that honeycomb court yeah i'm i don't know i hate it i think charlotte's is bad uh the like i said if the honeycomb i call it the beehive stuff like if that stuff if that went further down i'd probably like it more i'm not a big fan of when you're not using a lot of the space that's available to you uh so like, even could the Charlotte be written? Like, does it have to be in that script that's going diagonal? It is a little bit busy up up top, but and still not, not liking Charlotte. I'm going to, I'm going to pull a Dan here. That might be your worst take ever. Fair enough. Uh, I liked those. Uh, I think it was Mike V Hill of the timeline podcast called it one of the most gentrified NBA jerseys he's ever seen, where it was like the Mavs cartoony text. And I enjoyed it. I agree with you. So if I had to pick like my, my clear W's, and I think that's what was my issue here, is that there are jerseys that I'm ultimately fine with. Um, where the Rockets one is cool, but like I kind of miss like that huge old school rocket ship on it. So there are jerseys that I'm fine with. But that's the actual fair. the actual wins, Atlanta's is great. Um, Atlanta's is great. I really, really like the Raptors one. You could quibble over maybe you don't like that gold black color scheme, but I love having that actual rap. It's the OVO element. So I at least get it. Um, the Spurs one is fantastic. It's minimalistic, but the color pattern is just a throwback to the Alamo jerseys from the early two thousands. Yeah. And I wouldn't call these clear W's because they're all, they're they're repetitive basically, but they're solid. I like both the Suns and Utah's. Those are, those, those are fantastic. I throw Golden State in there. No, Golden, Golden State is Golden State is great because oh, it's playing yeah. off of their typical city Jersey, which just right. has one of the better, alternate logos in the nba and the addition of the lightning on the sides i think is pretty eye-catching i like those the lightning is creative you could have been more creative with the rest of the jersey i'm also just them the knicks the celtics like let's see them take more chance and i'm really saying this to the celtics and the knicks like take more chances here like these jerseys are always just so but don't take as many chances as the heat because those are garbage i respect the attempt though and no i don't don't. think it was just bad i don't think this one came out well but i like it better than i like new york's or boston's i like it better than charlotte's um the other one that i loved i love orlando's is great i love the just the orange in there the way that they have the star representing as the magic and even as the dot like um annotation on the eye and i like the orange and the black and plus the those orange pinstripes coming down on the black i think they hit a home run here too I think we can all agree that Dallas might have perhaps the worst, one of the three worst jerseys here. OKC is, is bad. It's one of the, it might, it's clearly the worst. I think it's the it's worst. There. I don't even know how you mentioned. Supposed, Alexei Pokashevsky going to look like he's naked whenever he's wearing it. <laughs> we haven't mentioned the Lakers, but I would put them near the top too. I really like how they're keeping the purple from the purple and gold, but also paying homage to the blue from the Minneapolis era. I think it looks really clean with that old school, but also new school font on the number with the drop shadow. It just looks really good. I agree with the drop shadow on the number. I probably, again, I'm just not a fan of like, we're pulling the name logo all the way up to the top and it's just not taking up like enough space for me, but I do. They're one of the better ones. I just, they weren't among my favorites and I don't have an issue with Philadelphia's is fine. Uh, Minnesota's is fine. I'm not the biggest fan of like the, the Clippers is even though I, I kind of like the color scheme. I don't like the, the pure white with only the slight, you know, orange, like creamsicle outline text for the numbers. I don't mind the bucks either. The sides really I like the sides and the bucks a lot. Yeah. I also but, cannot stand the Pacers. 
And I, I've been criticized for this take in the past because I don't like the jerseys that it's based off of that Reggie Miller made famous. But I'm just suck a, I'm such a sucker for symmetry that like the diagonal stripe just ruins it for me. The the white diagonal stripe is that you're talking about? Just the fact that it's asymmetrical like that jarringly. It's one thing for text, but a different thing for the background. Uh, New Orleans is is apropos of its season, which is to say nondescript. <laughs> uh, Memphis's is boring. Detroit's is fine. Rip City's is fine. I'm not. A, I don't like Chicago's like that. I feel like I can see my reflection in it even by looking at the image, um, just on the computer. And there's just not enough space taken up. Like the number needs to be bigger. Chicago needs to be bigger. Whatever. So there are teams. I don't want to say I'm indifferent to it, but like I'll give them a thumbs up. But I don't think it's out of creativity. I think it's they played it safe, and there's there's value in that. I suppose like Sacramento's is fine to me too. Like right in that Lakers tier. I, I normally see more that stand out and I'm like, oh, I love this. And that really only happened with like half or dozen or so this year. I think it's tough in some cases like Washington. I don't think it's the most aesthetically pleasing with the two red stripes near the top, but I also get exactly what they're doing, which is having Wes Unseld Jr.'s team give a throwback tribute to the jerseys worn by Wes Unseld and Elvin Hayes and those Washington Bullets. Wes so Unsell Jr., I by the way, it. might be have entered the coach of the year chat, speaking of the awards so. letter that we did. The, and so. I'm not crazy. The sides of Denver's are fine. But like when you look at the, the text where it's so clunky, it looks like it says, like, Deaver is basically what I'm reading. I hate all of it. <laughs> like, you have, I get, I get, I, it's another one of those where I understand what you're doing because this is the tribute to the rainbow skyline jerseys, but it looks terrible with those jutting outside panels. I just, I can't stand those. The nets is fine to me, but like, again, that's a, it's not as uncreative. Like there's more of a, like the throwback hearkening to the new Jersey. I just days. can't look at it and not think of like Drazen Petrovic. Right. Which is, that's a good emotion to invoke. Uh, so let's try this. What are your five favorite ones? Phoenix, the Lakers, Atlanta, Houston, and I'm going to go with Charlotte, much to your chagrin. Wow. So my five favorite, we, we share our interest in Atlanta. The Spurs are there for me. The Raptors are in there. The Magic. The Raptors were my sixth for what it's worth. And I have to go between either Utah or Phoenix here is like that last inclusion. I think I'll go with... I'm going to go with Utah's. I really just love the the color blend on that, but they could be tied for fifth. If you'll allow me to cop out, like I have six in my top five. What are your five least favorite? The five absolute worst. And I'm going to tell you right now, Charlotte is in my bottom five. I'm going to go with OKC, yep. Oklahoma City. That's also Thunder. OKC. Okay. <laughs> okay, I see what you're doing. I think those are by far the worst. Uh, New Orleans just doesn't even count. So we'll put them there. I think Chicago's is terrible uh, for the reasons you gave. The Sixers are really bad, and Dallas is going to be my fifth. So, but there I'll are a lot a of options still. No, I I, I forgot about Miami. <laughs> I will. I, I'll drop Chicago for Miami. I at least like that Miami's is different and stands out. Like I I understand it doesn't. It looks like a ransom note. I'm not the first one to say it. It looks like a ransom note, but like. I wonder if I would like it even more if like somehow, and I know it's different because these are getting tucked in when players are wearing them or Chris Paul is going to tell on you if it's not, but like, even still, like, can we bring that down? Can there be more space between my, I also just think like there's probably too much, you know, discrepancies in the, the text and the colors in there, but I at least appreciate the swing. And so I look at these and if I can see an iota, a modicum of creative effort, I can, I can applaud it. And so with that said, I don't like New Orleans's. I don't like OKC's. Um, I do not like Chicago's. Charlotte's is there. My fifth one, I want to say it's the Your Knicks worst take ever. Because they're perpetually boring. But can we talk a little bit about like how not cool Cleveland's is? Yeah, because I can't even tell it's Cleveland's. Right. So it's just like, I don't know. Um, I, I'm going to throw them in my bottom five instead of the Knicks. But I'm just going to say Cleveland's Knicks. tribute jersey should just be like a picture oh, of LeBron as the logo. Dallas needs to be in there too. Wow. Um, I got, there's just, there's too many bad ones. That's my point. So 
to Boston, New York specifically, be more like these jerseys got to be more creative moving forward. Like those are the two teams that I feel like I'm constantly just disappointed in what their alternates look like. I think part of that is at least by design with Boston in particular, because the Jersey just has never changed and never will change. But with an opportunity like this, you got to, you got to take it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, New York's and Boston's were boring as hell. That's my, that's my official stance on this. We have two Spurs questions. So let's start with um, this one is, this one's fun. Ty Yeager asks, who is an underrated player you guys like from San Antonio? I want to see if you can guess the owner of this stat who ranks second on the Spurs in made off the dribble jump shots this season. Like who are the top two names? I'm sorry. I phrased that. I phrased that very poorly. DeJounte Murray is going to be number one. I don't know that Keldon Johnson has ever taken a pull-up jumper because he just attacks the rim every time. So I'll go with Vassell as number two. I hate that you got that right, but Devin Vassell is number two. Um, He's shooting 52% from mid range. His like ability to do more on offense is an actual thing. And he's my pick for, I'm sorry to, to cut in front of you for that, but I found that. No, please do. He's, he's mine as well. So just talk for both of us. Look, he's, I think he's shooting like off the catch shooting, which by the way, he's shooting a higher clip, a higher effective field goal percentage on off the dribble jumpers than catch and shoot jumpers. I actually view that for the type of player that he is as like a positive. Um, I think he's going to end up being this more, well-rounded comprehensive player on offense than really expected someone who can only cut and catch and shoot or maybe move around a bit. Like he can, I don't know if he's ever going to be running a crap ton of pick and rolls, but I really like what I'm seeing from his in-between game. Um, And you combine that with his outside shooting and then the hustle he's going to give you on defense. They, I'm going to say this now, and I know people are still going to say maybe Murray, there might be some Derek White holdouts. Uh, Maybe there's a Josh Primo fan here. And I really do like Josh Primo. Devin Vassell, is their best and most important player of the bigger picture. And I think he's usurped. It was really DeJounte Murray was kind of unchallenged there. And it's not just that he's aged out of it, but I think that Devin Vassell is the single most important player to the San Antonio Spurs moving forward. Maybe that's not a spicy take. I don't think it's that spicy. You'll probably get some DeJounte Murray fans pushing back on it just given the strides he's already taken this season and the fact that guards, like true lead guards are, they t- they tend to be a little bit more valuable in the team building process, but just in terms of all around ability, I get exactly where you're coming from. Did you see that Dejounte Murray's dad called out Derek White on Twitter for sucking? I did not. I t- I I think I've just like I found a Twitter setting where I just mute every family member of any athlete ever, and it's wonderful. I couldn't. Derek White had like an O of ten performance. I think it was. I can't remember who they played. But it was on November seventh, and uh, Dejounte Murray's dad was subtweeting him. But it wasn't really a subtweet. It was he might as well have just added Derek White on it. So Derek White just struggled, and I think Coach Pop even mentioned something about it. Um, he's traditionally one of the more. That's a guy who, by the way, I wonder if he could. I don't. Maybe you wouldn't want to trade for him because he's in the first year of that extension. But I'm just wondering if he's a guy who could be had via trade that you wouldn't have expected because the Spurs are kind of sort of rebuilding. He is 27. Um, The upside there is going to be limited. It's just who wants to pay, you know, an average of $16 million a year for this guy um, over the next four, which includes this season. So that's something to monitor. This next question from um, about the Spurs. I'm going to give an answer. I'm going to give an answer first. No, Vassell was my answer, but I think another one is worth highlighting since you already took that one. Thaddeus Young needs some love here. I know that he's a bigger name because he's older, but he's forgotten about at this point. And while he's only playing 17.6 minutes per game over eight appearances for the Spurs this season, per 100 possessions, 20.4 points, 11.7 rebounds, 9.4 assists, 3.0 steals, 2.3 blocks, shooting 64.4% from the field, playing maybe the best defense of his career in a wide variety of roles. He has just been one of those do whatever it takes, fill a bunch of roles in a low minute role who can boost the Spurs in such a wide variety of ways that I think he's playing himself into a bigger role on a more competitive team on his next contract. It's funny that you mentioned him too, because he's really only playing even as much as he is out of necessity. Like if yeah. Jakob Pertl doesn't enter the league's health and safety protocols, I'm curious to see what happens when he comes back. So, but he's, he's been forever. really good. He, I thought about him as a trade target for Charlotte as a small ball five. I just don't know if he's going to give you enough of the rebounding element, but if you're looking for just the smarter defender to plug in the middle, he's way more suited to play. Well, I don't want to say way more suited, but I think he is, you know, 
more capable of anchoring small ball five lineups than a PJ Washington. Mm-hmm. Next question comes from um, Jobs. If you were going to make the Spurs better by changing the current starting lineup with only current available players, what change would you make, if any? I have to imagine that the best starting lineup for this team is going to involve the DeJounte Murray, Derek White backcourt. Pirtle at center when he's available. And then I think at the forward positions, you need the spacing Doug McDermott provides. And I would rather have the versatility Devin Vassell provides and bring Keldon Johnson as that aggressive go-to scorer against bench units. I am, I totally get that from you. I've thought that maybe they were onto something when they were so committed to separating Derek White and DeJounte Murray at this point that they should do it again. Um, that they, Those have not been the minutes that have hurt them this season, but I would like to see, especially based off how poorly, or I don't want to say poorly, but inconsistently Derek White has been this season, give me Murray with Lonnie Walker, Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson and Thaddeus Young. I get that you would probably want to play if you want to throw Jakob Pertle in there other than Thaddeus Young. But if you're actually asking me, am I trying to field the best lineup that I think is going to be do the most damage at both ends from the jump? Those are the five that I'm probably rolling out. I do think what they probably should look at overall, even if you're keeping the White Murray pairing, does Lonnie Walker need to be in there just to have like another layer of shot creation? And I think I do think excuse me. I do think Doug McDermott's floor spacing is important, but in that scenario, I do wonder, do you replace Doug McDermott with Lonnie Walker just so that you have that floor spacing coming off the bench, which will all of a sudden be down another ball handler. So, but that's the, my lineup would be the Vassell, Lonnie Walker, Murray, Kelvin Johnson, and and Thaddeus Young crew. I think that's the, um, I think that would be a fire unit for, for San Antonio. Nothing to add there. We'll move on then. I uh, thought we were. I mean, it's a, it's another fun lineup, and it's it's kind of a testament to how much we might have underrated them at the start of the year in terms of where this franchise was out in a at in a pseudo rebuilding process that they do have so many options. Dan Starmer asked, "Should the Wolves still trust Carl Anthony Towns to be a number one option to take the team forward?" I have a follow up question: Is Carl Anthony Towns even the Minnesota Timberwolves the number one option? It definitely doesn't seem that way, especially coming off of a game against the Golden State Warriors in which Anthony Edwards exploded for 48 points. But I I think the answer is still yes, because it's really hard to pin the blame for the Timberwolves' perpetual struggles on Carl Anthony Towns' shoulders. Yes, at the time of recording, they're only three and seven. They've been one of the worst teams in the league when you factor in strength of schedule. But what Towns provides is still absolutely magnificent on the offensive end. Like he's still going to push towards 25 points on a nightly basis. He's a willing and able passer. He's currently shooting 47.1% from beyond the arc on seven attempts per game as a true big man. He gets to the line. He can make his free throws. He can challenge any defender with a, with a face up jumper by taking him off the bounce. He can fill any role on offense because he is a generationally talented offensive big man. So it's really hard for me to want to give him any of the blame specifically with regards to his offense, just because the wolves continue to struggle. It's not like this is an ideal lineup meant to optimize him. You're still putting him alongside Anthony Edwards, who is best with the ball in his hands at this point. You're still putting him alongside D'Angelo Russell, who is still best with the ball in his hands at this point. You're not surrounding him with a ton of good shooters. You're not putting a ton of high-quality defenders. You're counting on Jaden McDaniels to to fill in all of the cracks on defense. Uh, For Josh Okoge to continue to to make an impact on on the wings as a defender. It's just, it's not optimized for him to succeed. And I think I said Jaden McDaniels when it should be Jalen McDaniels. So my apologies there. Um, wait, you think you said, I don't know. I'm getting Jaden McDaniels is the player apparently. that you're talking about. So whatever okay. Adam said, you gave me a funky look and I doubted myself and I shouldn't have, I don't remember giving you a funky look about anything. So Jalen McDaniels is on the Charlotte Hornets. So I was not looking at you funny about that. I apologize if I was, I am just Dane Moore 
of the Dane Moore NBA podcast. It's a great podcast, and Dane Moore does a great job covering this team. Has talked about this a lot. The Wolves are trying to implement this more free-flowing offensive system, and he thinks that they were more focused on the defensive end and training camp and just haven't had enough time or didn't put enough focus into learning the tenets of what they're trying to do. I also think if you're looking for more of a a read and react team, I don't know if they have the personnel for it. Just like I've never viewed D'Angelo Russell as that type of a, a player for one. You are dealing with a lot of one-way players too, where Josh Okoge is going to really help you on defense. Um, but that's not, I don't, is he that guy on offense? The answer to that is absolutely not. Absolutely. Um, Jake Lehman is still on this team's payroll. FYI for anyone who cares. I think I might've called that contract to steal when he signed it though. So I shouldn't be doing any, I shouldn't be doing any trolling here. I would almost wonder, I feel like Carl Anthony Towns needs to be doing more. So when you look at the percentage of his possessions that he's finishing as either the role man or the pick and pop guy, they're at a career low right now. He's averaging fewer drives per game uh, in slightly more minutes, I believe this season than last season. And I'm just like, can they try, I guess if you want to get him moving, um, I, I get that, but I feel like the spacing needs to be better because even when they're playing lineups where it looks like they're five out, the bodies in the Wolves games and, and moments that I've watched, they feel very clustered together where it's like you're loading up in not even one side of the floor, but one area or spot on the floor. And I'm curious as to how much that impacts him. And can you put the ball and it's like, why not run inverted pick and rolls? Maybe you don't have the, the smaller player to run it with, but Carl Anthony Towns has the, the vision he has the handle to just be like, Hey, we're just going to Carl Anthony Towns is going to run a pick and roll. And I understand that's like, I'm not saying that is the answer, but I would argue that you can do more things with towns or that he is capable of shouldering. I don't even want to say just a heavier role, but a more complicated role than he has right now. And so I don't think he is your, he and Anthony Edwards remain their timeline. And I'm still, I will say this more often than not. And I don't think it's spicy. He's closer to a top 15 player than he is to a top 30 or top 25 player. Like there's, he would be in my top 15 to 20, maybe even higher than that. And so, you know, you don't like it's, he is not like the issue. There are things that you would like him to do better, especially on defense, but they've also cobbled together like a pretty effective defense this year. And so that's why I play so much stock. And not only is Dane Moore super smart and covers this team so well, but like that just makes a lot of sense when you start to think about with what he's saying. I don't know with what I'm saying, about Carl Anthony Towns tracks, but I think overall he has the ability to, to show their more complicated role. And I don't want to say that they're marginalizing him because it's, it's not this season specifically. I think you could look at almost any Carl Anthony Towns season and say the exact same thing that I'm saying now, which is he could do more if you need him to. And I get, they don't need to, because you mentioned it with Anthony Edwards. That's part of the problem here. So I don't know if it's just a matter of the talent around him needs to be better, or is there actually room for him to do more, but he's so complimentary or he's, Every his impact on offense is so scalable that I think we almost take it for granted. In a lot of ways, it feels a little similar to Steph Curry, where I'm not sure you could give him too much responsibility within an offense. And Chris Finch hasn't done that to this point, much like Steve Kerr hasn't with the Golden State Warriors to different levels. But it feels like you could reasonably run every single play through Carl Anthony Towns, yeah, he'd wear down, but good things would happen. In the interest of keeping this podcast under an hour, let's make these the last two or three questions right here. Um, I sent you this one. Um, did you want to wait for the second part of this mailbag or do the one about heliocentrism? Let's, sit, let's, do, let's do that in the second one. Okay, that question is fascinating. So there's, there's your teaser. That could just prompt way too long of a discussion here. So, all right, this one comes from Whitka1. Do you think the Clippers offense will pick up? And if so, why? The caveat I will say is their shooting has picked up from where it was to start the season because they were whew, they were laying some bricks from the outside. And they've definitely regressed from last season where they were hitting everything from beyond the arc, but it was bad to start the year. I, not really. Kawhi Leonard was so central to what they did on both ends of the floor. There's just an awful lot of responsibility on Paul George's shoulders. So I, I like to look at, you know, the four factors that Dean Oliver came up with way back when, whenever this kind of question comes up and the Clippers, according to basketball reference, currently rank 11th in effective field goal percentage, which feels pretty reasonable. I would say, given the talent on this roster on the offensive end, 
They're 10th in turnover percentage. Nothing to really complain about there. They're 20th in free throws per field goal attempt, which has been a persistent issue for this team because it does settle for a lot of jumpers. It doesn't have the personnel that really consistently attack the basket in a way that draws contact. And they're 29th in offensive rebounding percentage. And that's the one to me that feels like it could have some sort of trend in the positive direction. After all, they did finish 12th in the category last year. But until that happens, it's hard to know why exactly we should expect that much more from this team, especially as the year goes on and Paul George isn't at full strength and he's had to shoulder an inordinate responsibility for much of the season. Like I I don't see any reason to believe that we're going to look at this team, no matter what personnel combinations they use and view it as a top six, top seven, top eight offense in the NBA this season. If they can stave off being a bottom 10 offense, I'd probably call it an accomplishment if we assume Kawhi Leonard doesn't play. And I think some of these issues persisted last year. They're just all exacerbated by the fact that Kawhi Leonard isn't here. And so, like, the point guard rotation has always been lackluster um, with how inconsistent Reggie Jackson has been, how poorly Eric Bledsoe has shot. Like, that's a real um, problem for them now because you only have sort of Paul George to be that primary creator type and i know look i know that pig and rolls aren't the biggest part of their offense but you have um reggie jackson averaging 0.63 points per pick and roll possession as the ball handler that's the 18th percentile efficiency eric bledsoe adam is averaging 0.29 points per possession as the pick and roll ball handler you look you know, at this you, team- you laugh but that's 0.29 points per possession more than you would have <laughs> fair enough uh they are among the most ISO heavy teams in the league and they're only averaging 0.86 points per possession in those situations. That's the 38th percentile. This team has never been one that puts a ton of pressure on the rim. Um, They're also not finishing that well there. That's a problem. If you're not going to put a ton of pressure on the rim, you want to make the most of those opportunities. Also, because you don't have Kawhi Leonard, who is just an expert in drawing fouls from anywhere, there's going to be a cap on how many times you can get to the free throw line, which is another it can be an, I think people were critical that they didn't get to the rim enough last year, but I actually believe they were in the top 10 of foul rate last year. I'll, I'll double uh, free throw attempt rate. Excuse me. I'll double check that while I'm talking here. So I think the elements, some of the elements that are plaguing them now were an issue last year. It's just, you had Kawhi Leonard. So a lot of them were mass and they were 14th in free throw attempt rate last year. So still higher than they were. And you just don't have the personnel to address it right now. And the other thing that's hurting them is they're, middle of the pack in three-point percentage, but it's lower than the league's best mark, which is where they were last year. And so I think I would say, um, where are they at in offense right now? They're 19th in points scored per possession. I don't want to say that's their ceiling, but if you're asking me whether I'd expect them to finish, they're 18th. If you're asking me whether I would take the you know them finishing better than 18th or lower than 18th, I'd probably take lower. I think there's a realistic path to like a very middle of the pack finish, but I I just don't see it beyond that. And even that would require a lot to go right. And look, even getting to this point, you've needed Paul George to just be an absolute monster over the past like week and a half, however long it's been. So food for thought there. Uh, This question comes from 50 Shades of Brow. Uh, If the Nuggets decided to go all in this season, is there any player that would really make a championship level difference or are as they as good as they can be. Hmm. I I just, I don't see like a consolidation trade for this team because the depth has already been an issue without Jamal Murray in the lineup with Michael Porter jr. Struggling, even with Will Barton playing lights out basketball on both ends of the floor, even with Nikola Jokic. Good. So ridiculously good. And Jokic has been a bona fide MVP candidate, uh, a legitimate threat to go back to back in that department. Also a legitimate threat to Markeith Morris, but carry on. 100% true. Uh, so I, I just don't see it because unless you're selling low on on Porter, what are you going to give up without destroying what little depth you're already working with? Because this team has struggled immensely in the non-Jokic minutes. Monte Morris has regressed significantly again Porter has really struggled and it's caused this team a lot of issues Jermichael Green Jeff Green like nothing nothing is working so I just I don't see it here because you don't have the trade juice 
to go out and acquire a star without significantly altering the chemistry of this team or potentially giving up Jamal Murray, which just isn't going to happen. So I, I think this is the roster that you're looking at, and it is still a roster capable of making a title run if it is at full strength and if Porter can be the player the Nuggets thought he was going to be when he signed a massive extension and then forgot how to play basketball. Yeah, there are. I don't think you can call them as good as they can be. Um, by the way, th- that win over Indiana, though, without Jokic, without Michael Porter Jr., super impressive. No Murray, that, incredibly impressive. What you run into an issue with them is who are you actually moving to make the impact trade? Because you just signed Gordon to that extension, and I don't think his raise was low enough. Yeah, he's not going to be trade eligible this year. So you can't move him. You're not going to move Michael Porter Jr. when he's part of the poison pill um, provision after signing his extension. You could move Will Barton, but he's been so good. What's the trade that's getting you an upgrade? <laughs> over Will Barton, uh, who's a member of your starting line. You're not training Jamal Murray when he's injured. That just doesn't make sense for you. So, And you're not moving Jokic, so like you're just limited in the type of trade filler you have. Now, I'm, I don't think, and this also isn't the season to go all in, because what's going on with Michael Porter Jr.'s back? Let's see what Jamal Murray looks like when he returns. You've bought yourself a little bit of time by locking everyone down long-term, so there's no real rush here. A name I would keep an eye on, based off how many, how much issue, how many issues they've had on the bench, um, and how much their offense has struggled this year. Eric Gordon in Houston, because you do have the Monte Morris, Jeff Green contracts as salary matching. What else are you including, or what's the sweetener there? And, and you're probably looking at a three-team situation, because I don't know why Houston necessarily would be interested in either of those players unless they're attached to to Bones Highland, who I would not give up for Eric Gordon. But like that's the type of move is, okay, you can cobble together two contracts and take back maybe a veteran that, doesn't fit with another team's timeline. And maybe Houston just wants to break up Eric Gordon into two smaller salaries, though. Though Jeff Green would probably have to be pretty pissed if uh, if he ended up in Houston after <laughs> signing in Denver. But like, it doesn't have to be him. You can use the stepladder trades to to get there. I just don't. I don't think a huge move is realistic for them. I'm with, I'm with you there. We have another question on the Nuggets, and you actually touched upon this one. It also comes from Fifty Shades of Brow. Does Will Barton have any case for most improved player? Absolutely. The issue is that so do like 50 other players right now, because it's the start of the season and we have yet to see what kind of growth is actually scalable for a full season. So I'm kind of viewing Barton much in the same way that I view like the Seth Curry candidate, Harrison Barnes as a candidate, where these are veteran players where they're thriving both because of opportunity and because of improved play. And that level of opportunity might not be sustainable as Porter is healthy and more effective as Murray is back on the court. And as some of the hot shooting regresses, I don't think there's any doubt that Barton has been a frustrating and sometimes polarizing player in Denver, uh, especially among Nuggets fans, because he does play a high variance style of basketball. He makes a lot of mistakes because he's so aggressive because he has so much energy that he deploys in often useful, often detrimental ways. So he is just more naturally an up and down player. And we're just seeing a really high up right now. Maybe his baseline level of play has changed and will be better throughout the remainder of the season. If he's able to to maintain how he's played to this point, he'll absolutely be a candidate for most improved player. I just don't know that I expect him to sustain this well enough or long enough to be a legitimate candidate at the end of the season. Yeah, right now he's averaging 17.5 points, 4.4 assists per game, shooting 53.4% on twos and 43.3% on threes. Uh, all of those marks would be career highs, by the way. I, I Look, you could certainly loop him in there, and he's also just been outrageous. He's shooting 69% at the rim, which would be by far and away the highest mark of his career hitting a ton of his threes. I haven't noticed like a huge difference. He's in the 83rd percentile and efficiency is the score out of the pick and roll, but I just haven't noticed this huge difference in his game. Like he's not hitting a ton of these tough off the dribble jumpers. He still does put pressure on the defense with the ball in his hands. So it feels like, is this just a matter of a sudden uptick in importance because you don't have Jamal Murray and Will Barton's been healthy. I'm not trying to detract from him. I just think he's going to have a tough time competing with the likes of an OG Ananobi or a Tyler Hero. I would still throw Seth Curry into that, but I don't think he's ultimately going to end up being a a finalist. Or Miles Bridges, where there's like more material changes and growth in their actual portfolio rather than just the production. But I think as of right now, early in the season, you could certainly mention him. And I, I like the way that you put it in the Harrison Barnes sort of Seth Curry 
territory. I think he absolutely deserves a case there. This final wrap-up from Fifty Shades of Brow uh, was, how high would the Nuggets need to finish in the West for Jokic to repeat as MVP? If they're in the top four, he's going to have a chance. Historically, it's it's like third or second, but I just think the West is so weird this year, and he has the anecdotal boom of probably no Murray this year. What if Porter Jr. struggling like th- this long this season? What if he just misses a ton of time with this back stuff? I haven't seen any updates on that, um, but you can correct me if I'm wrong there. So I, I he think was he has listed a- as questionable for the Friday. Nuggets next game for Friday's game, but I think he's already been downgraded to out. But the fact that he wasn't straight up listed as out might be at least encouraging. So I, I think the anecdotal boost is there to where if the Nuggets finish fourth and Nicole Jokic continues to be this good, um, he'll he'll have a strong case there. Um, quick, last two quick hitters, or actually this will be the last question. Uh, and it's it's along the, uh, let's go with this one. So I'm asking it because I know you're everyone's tired of it, but we did have the report from Shams where he talked to people within the Sixers and um, Clutch Sports agent Rich Paul, who represents Ben Simmons. Clutch Sports also represents Shams, by the way, uh, as as far as I know. That there's just I'm very uncomfortable with the way that uh, debates over Ben Simmons' mental health status are just playing out with warring leaks in the media or reports in the media. Um, it's very uncomfortable. I, for everyone's sake, at this point, I understand the business part of it to where no, you don't just move Sim- Ben Simmons for the sake of moving Ben Simmons. I want this situation to get resolved one way or the other because I take the mental health aspect of this very seriously in this industry. Like if you're not having support from your bosses or upper management and they're not checking in on you and you think they have ulterior motives and they really just don't give a fuck about you, which, you know, Rich Paul said that he is still liked working with the Sixers front office. So I'm not trying to ascribe that type of a boss mentality to Philadelphia. It's just, it's very awkward. It's uncomfortable and it sucks. And Blake Murphy tweeted about this, that, he's worried mental health is going to be now used to weaponize, um, you know, treatments and, and how it's viewed moving forward based off how this is playing out. So I'm asking this question just because it's semi-topical. If you have any thoughts on that, please share them to close out here. But the actual question is, would you rather see Ben Simmons to the Pacers, the Raptors or the Kings? And that comes from RK. And I know, I know some people are fatigued from Ben Simmons talk. I really want what's best for him. And I think what's best for him is probably not being Philly anymore, but it is just, it, it's a, I still love the exercises of he wants out. What would be the team that you would love to see him on if if nothing was a restriction? I really like of the teams you mentioned, Sacramento. That's the I one, right? It, he addresses so really much fun. of what they need too. Yeah, absolutely. Just the idea of him running out there with De'Aaron Fox, with Tyrese Halliburton, and with Rashawn Holmes. Yeah, and look, he gives them more size. Granted, some of those could be moved in a trade, but like, I would I would imagine you're not at this point because I think the value has dropped enough. And that that quartet would be super fun to watch. I would say the trio is at least intact after the trade, where you're not moving Fox, and why would the Sixers want Holmes? I mean, I get he's good, but to back up Joel... I don't think you could move Halliburton, though. I don't think you... I think you could do it, and I wouldn't. I want to make that clear. And I would assume that they're not willing to, otherwise maybe a deal would have been done. But yeah, if that's your quartet, like that's just absolutely fantastic. Did you have any thoughts on... The, be- the latest in Ben Simmons, I'll put, if anyone saw us, it would be in air quotes because it just feels like we're on a treadmill of negativity and um, and malpractice with the way that this is being handled. 100%. It's it's uncomfortable. It feels wrong. It, it, it is a situation that just needs to end quickly because I'm, I'm worried about where it's going to go next. I'm, I, would, I'm told- I would encourage everyone to just rewind and listen to what Dan had to say again, because it is just spot on. Don't ever do that. My voice is too nasally. This was fun. If we didn't, we have a ton of questions in the bank and I might throw out another solicitation, but we, we have enough questions that I did not get to that. We could probably just do a separate mailbag. So we will do a separate mailbag. Um, anyone, we did record this before the brawl or, you know, four players were ejected in Pacers jazz when Turner and Gobert got into it. So we did not talk about that. Um, Maybe we'll talk about it on the next podcast if it's warranted, but the NBA this week has been emotions, tensions have been running um, high in some of these games. If this is your first time listening to us, please, please, pretty please continue giving us that permanent subscription, especially if you've made it this far. Anyone who's already subscribed, please make sure you're downloading every episode, telling your friends, family members, acquaintances, coworkers about us, and definitely make sure to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts. 
and also on iTunes, even if you don't use it, because that helps us out in the, the podcasting chisarts a ton. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Follow us on YouTube, youtube.com. Search Hardwood Knox. We will come up. And on Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. You can follow NBA Math at NBA underscore Math. Follow Sports Math at Sports. What is it? What is Sports the Math again? Sports underscore Math. Sports. The, the underscore Sports underscore Math. At the underscore Sports underscore Math and all the parent accounts that are affiliated with it. Until next time, we leave you with a shout out to the one, the only. Frank Neal Keener.